The scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Hear the word of our Lord. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, we're continuing our (coughs) series on growing in grace and looking at the main marks, the main, uh, you could say the main tools, I guess, that God has provided for his people to enable them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the aim of the Christian life. That's the, the aim of the church is to help every single one of its members to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're looking at now is that Christ has established his church to be one of those main avenues, one of those main tools, if you will, or uh, one of those, those main means by which he grows his people in grace in Christ. So we're going to continue looking at that today. We've been looking at that for a number of weeks now, and we are on track with a longer sermon today, we are on track to finish next week. And uh, you guys are just going to have to put up with it until we get into the Gospel of John. And then I can just pick up, I can stop, and I can pick up right where we left off more easily than in this. So, as we start, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning that we have to gather together as your people. Oh, what a blessing it is to sing your praises together with other saints who have been given hearts to praise you. Or such a joy to be able to be here and to exhort one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Or to sit under the public reading of your word, both in the call to worship as well as in the reading of the passage we'll be looking at today. Lord, it's a joy to pray, to unite as one people in one name, the name Jesus. What a joy it is to unite as one people in that one name and pray together to you here now, to ask for your blessing to be upon us, to ask for your nearness to be made known to us, your presence to be realized more fully among us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would fill our hearts with the truth of your word and you would set that truth on fire through the rest of our being by the mighty power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are helpless and we are impotent. We are unable to do anything apart from your grace strengthening us to do it. Lord, that includes preaching and sitting under your preaching in a way that will be edifying and helpful. So please, Lord, work here and now in this time and glorify your Son in our hearts. Let our minds be lifted above the things of this world. Lord, may the broken be healed. You are near to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, there are those among us who feel crushed in spirit. They feel brokenhearted. 
Lord, let them have hope and let them know that hope in their own souls that you are very near to the brokenhearted. You heal the hearts of the broken. Or there are others among us that are joyful and filled with a fullness. I pray that you would minister to them in their fullness in such a way that they steward that fullness, not only to glorify your name, but to do good to your people. Or there are those of us, I would say probably most of us are somewhere in the middle. Or we need you to minister your word to us in a way that heals our hearts. We need you to minister your word to us in a way that inflames smoldering wicks and burning embers. Lord, we ask that you would do that now. Let, let Christ be lifted high among us, Lord. May we as your people be strengthened in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of the sermon today is The Purpose of the Church. We've spent, we've spent some weeks looking at the nature of the church, really looking at what the church is. And now today we're going to start looking at why the church is. Why has Christ established his church? In a real sense, it's the purpose of the church that enables us to understand how the church functions as a means of grace for believers. <clears throat> Now, as we start, I need to acknowledge that the title for today is a little misleading. The title of the sermon is The Purpose of the Church. But if you look through Scripture, you will soon realize that the church does not have one single purpose. Wayne Grudem helpfully summarized the purpose of the church under three headings, and I've co-opted them for this morning. I'm just going to mention the first two, and then we're going to be talking about the third one more fully. But in his systematic theology, he mentions the first and the foremost purpose of the church is that the church exists in order to minister unto God. The church exists as a body of believers who are gathered together to minister unto the Lord. And you see that represented by the leadership in the church in Antioch in Acts 13, when they were fasting and they were praying together in an extended season. The text says in verse 4 that they were ministering unto the Lord. Now what the leadership was doing in the church in Antioch was nothing different than what the whole body ought to have been doing, except the fact that they were doing it in a more intensified manner, a more focused season. But the purpose of the entire church is to be a body of people who minister unto the Lord. That's our first and our primary purpose. As a Westminster Confession says, what is the chief end of man? Or asks, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now what are we doing when we glorify God and when we enjoy Him forever? We're worshiping Him. We are ascribing to him the worth-ship that is due to him. That's what I remember R.C. Sproul, if you've ever heard him talk about what worship is, his favorite word to use to describe that is worth-ship, right? 
You are, you are magnifying and exalting and proclaiming and declaring the worth of God. That's what you're doing when you're worshiping, right? That can feel pretty cutting whenever we ask ourselves, well, how does my worship of the Lord in song, for example, magnify the worth of my God? If someone were to gauge the worth of my God based on how I worship God, where would they put his value? Right? That's pretty cutting. It ought to be. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is, it is to worship him. It is to minister unto him. As Jesus said in John 4.23, this is exactly what the Father is looking for. He is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what the church body is. The church body is a gathering of believers who have been brought to the point where they worship God in spirit and in truth. And they help one another do that. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. And coming to him, speaking to these believers, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up. Now, just a side note, built up there, the same word Jesus uses in Matthew 16. When he talks about building his church, Peter takes that and says this is exactly what's happening in the local churches when believers are being gathered into them. They are being built together as spiritual stones as they come to the one living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they as living stones, they are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood so that in their priesthood, they would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So according to that verse, what is the purpose of the church? It's to worship God, right? To offer up spiritual sacrifices unto him. Now I want to go further and further into that. But we need to move, right? So that's, that's one element of the purpose of the church. Number two, the church exists in order to minister on God's behalf to the world. You remember uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse, verses 18 through 20, it describes ministers, those who minister the truth of the gospel to the world, as those who are pleading on God's behalf, be reconciled unto the Lord. The church exists to minister unto the world. That is, God has established his church so that she would minister his truth, his love, his grace, his compassion, and his mercy unto the world, even when the world doesn't deserve it. Now, the church does that in a number of ways. Let me just run through them quickly, and I'm, and I'm really just trying to plow through this so we can get to point number three, all right? So stay with me. Matthew 28, 18 through 19, we do this through evangelism, right? We minister unto the world by proclaiming the truth of God's grace as it's been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to them and we minister unto them the mercy of God in the name of Jesus. We come ministering the promise of forgiveness and hope and cleansing and reconciliation with God. We come preaching the gospel to the world. And therefore, we become ministers of God unto the world. That's one part of the church, how the church does that, through our evangelism. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we do this through our intercessory prayer on behalf of those who are in the world. We pray for all men, 
for kings and rulers and all who are in authority, that they might come to have a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is God's desire, that they would come to know him in a saving way. So we minister unto the world through our intercessory praying. We minister unto the world, 1 Peter 2.12, by living godly lives in the world. And you notice, we live godly lives. We keep our behavior spotless before the Gentiles, before the world, so that in the final day, they will glorify God because of what they saw in us. Right. So exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13 and 14 and 16, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then verse 16, we are to do what with that light? We are to let it shine in such a way that the world would see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Right. So we are ministering to the world on behalf of God, and we are doing it in such a way that God gets the glory. And then another way we minister unto the world, Galatians 6.10, by seeking to do good to them, to the world. Not only to the household of faith, but also seeking to do good to all men. So those are some elements involved related to the purpose of the church that we are not going to dig into today, all right? Maybe we dug into it too much, I don't know. But at least now you know there are other factors, other, other facets involved in looking at the purpose of the church. Now the one that we're going to focus on today is the third one. The third part of God's purpose of the church or for the church. And that is the church exists in order to minister to its members. So the church exists in order to minister unto God. The church exists in order to minister unto the world. But the church exists in order to minister unto its members. 1 Corinthians 14.26, our text for today, it sums up this purpose with one word, and that is the word edification. What is the purpose of the church in regard to its members, those who make up the body of the church? What is the church's role and function on their behalf? It is to edify them. Paul says, what is the outcome then, brothers, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has a translation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, to edify simply means to build up, right? You can think of the word edifice. What is an edifice? It is a building that has been constructed. It is something that has been built. It's something that's been assembled and put together, right? So to edify, we're just talking about building up. We're talking about strengthening. We're talking about encouraging one another. That's what it means to edify each other. That is identified here as being the purpose behind the multifaceted ministry of the church. Its purpose is to bring itself into greater spiritual strength, greater spiritual maturity by bringing each of its members into greater spiritual strength and maturity. Now, it's interesting. It gets a little technical here, but it's interesting that this word for edification is the noun form of the verb Jesus uses in Matthew 16, 18. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, that's a verb. I will build it, right? 
This word for edification in 1 Corinthians 14.26 is the noun form of that verb. It is that verb turned into a noun. Okay? So when we're talking about edification, we're simply talking about being built up. Now that's significant because it tells us something about how Jesus does this great work of building his church. Yes, he has and he is and he will continue being the one who is building his church. But 1 Corinthians 14.26 tells us that the means by which he's going to do that is the church itself. So if you ask, how is Jesus building his church? The answer is, I'm using the church to build my church. It is through the ministry of the church that Christ completes the work of building his church. And so when it comes to understanding the purpose of the church in relation to its members, it is simply to see that the work of edification, the work of being built up in Christ, is actually being done through the church. And that is to be its utmost purpose behind everything that is done in relation to its members. So to boil it down, what is the purpose here? It's to edify. Right? What is the church's purpose for its members? It's to edify its members. Now among the many things that we can say about that, and believe me, there are many things that we can say about that. Among the many things, I want to pick out two. Two things from this verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that I want to focus on that will help us understand how the church is used as a means to edify its members in grace. Okay? So two things. I'll give you the two main points here. Number one, first main point is this edification happens... Uh, excuse me, we're going to notice when this edification happens. That's point number one, when this edification happens. And then point number two, how this edification happens. Okay? Amen? I'm going to start sounding more and more like Vodibachum if you guys don't get more involved in what's happening here. Either that or I myself am going to fall asleep and just fall out of the pulpit and someone else can come finish the sermon. Have Grant come finish it. Point number one. Notice from this verse, I want to pay attention to when this edification of the church happens. That's exactly right. According to 1 Corinthians 14.26, the edification of the church is something that happens when believers are gathered together. That is, it's when they are gathered corporately. Paul says there, when you assemble, let everything be done for edification. Now we know from how Paul uses this word assemble in the broader context that what he's talking about is the corporate gathering of the church. He's talking about this right here, what we're doing here. That's what Paul means when he speaks about the church being assembled or being gathered together. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, Paul says, when you come together as a church. Now, literally, when you come together in church is the way the Greek has it here. 
So church, actually doing church or being church or having church, that is something that happens when the brothers and sisters of Christ gather with one another physically. And without being in that physical gathering, you are not gathering in or with the church. Now, 1 Corinthians 14.23 uses the same language. Paul says he speaks of the whole church assembling together. Now, the point to take away from that is, is this, that the church is only the full expression of the church when it assembles. That is when the church functions as the church and therefore... The full expression of edification that is to come through the church can only happen or may be made manifest when the church is gathered physically. Do you understand that? that? That reasoning there? The church is only the full expression of the church when it is physically assembled. That is when it functions as the church. And therefore, because it only functions as the church when it is physically gathered as the church, the full expression of edification that Christ intends to give His people through the church will only flow to them when they are physically gathered. Okay? Now that is not to say that believers cannot be edified or encouraged or built up when they are outside of the physical gathering of of the church. I'm not saying that you cannot be edified in a care group. I'm, I'm not saying that you cannot be edified through a phone call from, with another brother or sister. I'm not saying that you can't be edified through an email. We need ironing or iron sharpening iron meetings among the men, right? That is edifying. And let me just throw a plug in there for men's ministry, men's meetings, guys. It's been waning since 2020. Where are the men? Where are they? Now, I'm not talking about men out there either. I'm talking about men in here. Where are the men? The women have no problem gathering together to edify one another, to study the scriptures, to pray. Why are the men not being leaders in this regard? Isn't that what we're called to be? 1 Timothy 2.8, we are called to be those who take the lead. Not only in our families, not only in our own lives, but also in the corporate assembly of the church. So, in parentheses there, but there's a plug for men's ministry. Men, get involved. We need you, right? All right, off of that. We need iron sharpening iron meetings among men. We need Titus 2 women's meetings where the older women will come alongside the younger women and teach them how to love their husbands and how to keep their home in a way that truly honors Jesus Christ and adorns the gospel. We need those, those kinds of meetings for edification. You need to be edified. You can be edified through listening to sermons throughout the week or by reading a different book on your own or even you should be being edified in your own personal reading of Scripture and in your time of prayer every day and in regular family worship. There are many ways for us to seek certain levels of spiritual nourishment that do not require the corporate gathering of the people of Christ. However... 
What 1 Corinthians 14.26 and the broader context tells us is that there is a particular kind of edification that is happening when Christ people are gathered together and that kind of edification will not be accomplished in any other way. We're going to dig into this more next week whenever we speak about the priority of the church, right? We've talked about the nature. Today we're talking about the purpose. Next week we're talking about the priority. So we're going to get into this more next week, but this is why Hebrews 10.25 commands believers not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Because there is something that Christ is accomplishing in us when we gather together in church, in the assembly. Now, we're going to get, as I said, into this next week. But before I leave this point, let me ask you, is this what is in your mind when you prepare yourself on Saturday night or on Sunday morning to gather together with the people of Christ in the assembly? Do you prepare yourself or do you enter into this physical gathering out of a hopeful anticipation that Christ is going to meet you here? Do you come to this place with some sense of longing and hunger for Christ to truly bless you through the ministry of the saints? Do you expect to be blessed through the ministry of the saints? That's the, that's the first challenge. We don't believe that anything special is happening here anymore. Right? And all that does is cry out how shallow our experience of being Christians really is. In times of revival, in times of awakening, you know that believers, the first thing, the ultimate commitment that they had in their everyday lives was to gather with the saints in the corporate assembly. That's why during times of Reformation, for example, under Calvin, the church met every single day and heard sermons every day. That's why Martin Luther preached as many sermons as he preached in his life because they were meeting together every single day, not out of some constraint or obligation or sense of duty, but because it was their joy to be with the people of God. They were experiencing something of the edifying work of Jesus when they met together. And it's like tasting something as sweet as honey, right? You, you taste honey, you love honey, it's good, and you want more. It's exactly what it's like for the people of God whenever Christ is truly manifesting His nearness in their corporate assembly. Is this what is in our minds? Is this what we expect to be the result of our corporate gatherings together? It's like what Spurgeon said to a young man who graduated from his college and went to pastor a church. He'd been pastoring for three months. He'd been preaching his heart out, supposedly. And he came to Spurgeon and he said, Brother, I don't know what's wrong. 
I have been preaching the Word of God for three months and I have not seen a single convert. Charles Spurgeon responded to him asking, well, you don't really expect to see someone saved every time you speak, do you? The man responded and said, well, no, I guess I don't. And basically Spurgeon said, well, that's your problem. <laughs> you don't expect people to be saved when you preach the Word of God. So why would Christ bless you by seeing people saved through your ministry? That same principle applies to us as a church, guys. Boy, you struggle being here in the church? Is it a bore? Is it a bore? I mean, can we be honest? Can I be honest? I know, what it, I know what it's like to sit in this room with this assembly and feel bored, feel distracted. I know what that's like. But that is a far cry from the way things ought to be when we gather together as a church. You know, I think for many of us, when we were brand new believers, no one had to tell us that it was our duty to come to church. <laughs> right? When I was first saved, no one had to tell me, now Seth, here's what's expected of you. You need to read the Bible. You need to be praying every day. You need to be sharing the gospel with other people. And don't forget, you need to be in church. No one had to come tell me those things. The moment I was born again, new life flooded my soul. And you know what that new life was doing? It was longing after new things. I couldn't wait to get in the scriptures. I, f I almost failed my Spanish class because I couldn't put my Bible down. Easy way to fix that, just give me a Spanish Bible. Learn Spanish, read the scriptures. No one had to tell me those things. And whenever it came to like gathering with the corporate assembly of the church, there was nothing that I longed and hungered and yearned for more throughout my week than to be at the next corporate assembly with the people of God. That, that's why it was no problem to have a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening service and even a full Wednesday night service. They, they didn't have to go out begging people to come into a Wednesday night service in the midweek and disrupt their normal routine and get off their lazy buffs and come in to gather with the people of Christ. They didn't have to urge people to do that. You know why? Because they were experiencing Christ when they gathered. They were being edified by the ministry of one another and they longed for more of it. Now, isn't that what you want from our corporate gatherings here at Oak Ridge? I would love it. I would love, I long for the day. Now, this would, this would have implications for how I order and structure my week. Some things would have to be dumped onto some of you, okay? But I would long for the day when you all would come to me and say, we are demanding that we have a Sunday night service because we want to be together. We are demanding that we have a Wednesday night service, at least a Wednesday night Bible study. Could you lead us in that? And then we can have a prayer meeting afterward. Maybe we can have a fellowship meal together. Then I would love that if the whole body came up and said that. That would be a mark that truly the Spirit of God is working among us and knitting our hearts together in love. What is the fruit of that? We actually love to be with each other. 
You can say you love someone all you want, but if you never want to be around them, you don't love them. Okay? Now we, many of us knew that blessing far more richly in years past than we do now. Now, there, you know, before, before, before pride came in, before lethargy, before our own self-centeredness began to rise and we didn't notice, when we were seeing with new spiritual eyes, when we were feel, filled with a fresh zeal for the Lord, and we knew, we knew the unspeakable blessing of corporate fellowship, that we experienced every time we gathered with Christ's people. Now, here's the challenge. If we are not experiencing the corporate gathering of the people of God like that, if it's not producing in us edification, then we need to be running to the Lord and asking ourselves, what's wrong, Lord? What are we doing wrong? What am, I, what am I ignoring? What am I not seeing? Where do I need to repent? What do I need to, what do I need to, to reconcile over? We need to be seeking the Lord as to, to why, Lord. Why are we not experiencing the fellowship of the corporate assembly the way that the believers experienced it in the New Testament? There's nothing unique about that time other than that the Spirit of God was founding the New, New Covenant Church. Same blessing, same Spirit, same Lord, same God, same Jesus Christ reigns over us now. Nothing's changed. So if we can't pronounce with sincerity what the psalmist says in Psalm 122.1, when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of Yahweh. Well, if we can't enter into that same spirit, guys, something's wrong. That should be a flag. That should be a signal to us that says, hey, something's not right in our souls, and we need to repent. We need to seek an understanding of what it is. Now, I don't think that I could have all the answers to this question of what's wrong or what could be wrong if we're not experiencing corporate fellowship this way. But I suspect that part of the reason why we may not be experiencing the fellowship of the corporate body the way we should be has to do with our second main point today. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, we notice that though the church is edified through the means of her corporate gatherings, she is not edified simply because she has gathered together physically. Okay? Though the corporate gathering is the means of edifying the church, just because believers have assembled themselves together does not mean they're going to be edified. There's nothing magical about walking through those doors and coming and sitting here in the pew or singing songs together. There's nothing magical about that in and of itself that's going to produce edification. Rather, what this verse tells us is that <clears throat> the church is only going to achieve this kind of edification that Paul's talking about here. 
That edification will only be achieved through the full participation of every member in the corporate assembly. Full participation, every member in the corporate assembly. Okay? So let's notice how that happens. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says, when you assemble, each one has a psalm. You can transpose that each one to every single one of these. Each one has a psalm. Each one has a teaching. Each one has a revelation. Each one has a tongue. Each one has an interpretation. Now, Obviously, that is focusing upon what the individual members of the church are bringing to the corporate assembly. Okay? There's something that every single member of the church is adding to the blessing of the corporate assembly that leads to the edification of the whole body. That's, that's the emphasis of the each one. Now, what I want to point out here is that, remember, we are talking about edification that is happening in the assembly. Now, as I've said, edification does not automatically happen just because we're all gathered into the same place. But by God's design, edification is the result of every member fully engaging in the ministry of the corporate worship. And so it is the contributions of the many that lead to the edification of the whole. Now, I had an analogy here, illustration that may or may not be helpful. But you could think of this kind of as like a spiritual potluck, right? It's a fifth Sunday smorgasbord. This is what we're doing today. Hopefully, most of you anyway brought some food to share, right? You all didn't bring the same food. You didn't bring the same dish. You didn't even bring, you know, a main dish or you all didn't bring a main dish. You all didn't bring a dessert. You all didn't bring some side dish or appetizer. You all brought different things. And among those different things, there were different kinds of things that were being. So not all of you brought a main dish, but many of you did bring a main dish. But not all of you brought the same main dish, right? Well, I think that that's kind of an analog that's analogous to what is happening in the corporate assembly of the church. Whenever we gather together, it's a spiritual potluck. Each one of us have gifts, we have abilities, we have things that Christ has entrusted to us that we are responsible to bring for the edification of everyone else. Now, it may be what we, I don't know, I don't even know how to divide this up in a way that would be helpful or useful, but let's just be gracious with me. I'm not exalting the preaching of the word as something that is, well, boy, see there, I just caught myself in a trap. The preaching of the word is the central element of our worship on Sunday mornings. I don't want to deny that. But let's say, let's just say like Sunday school teaching, preaching in the pulpit, uh, maybe even leading up here in front, leading, leading, leading us in worship and song. Let's treat that as like a main dish, right? There are main elements of our corporate worship that are being fulfilled through the giftings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit in certain individuals' lives. Okay? But then there are other side dishes, appetizers, desserts, 
that the Holy Spirit is providing to the entire body through everyone who maybe isn't up front providing what we would consider to be the main dish. All week long, the Holy Spirit has been prodding you with His Word. He's been filling your heart with a sense of glory at the thought of Christ. You've been seeing amazing, wondrous things about God in His Word and in His creation. All week long, that ministry of God has been going on in your heart. And it's unto this end that when you gather corporately with the people of Christ, you bring that spiritual life that you've been receiving from Christ all week and you pour it out in the context of the corporate gathering. Okay? Now that, that looks like many different things. And we're going to get into that, some of that in here in just a second. But what I want you to grasp, I want you to really see is that every single person in this room who belongs to Christ has something to share with the rest of the body that Christ will use to build the body up. That is the positive side of this. There's also a negative side of this. Every single member of Christ's body has a gift given to him or her by the Holy Spirit that they are responsible to use in the assembly of the church. And there are some for various reasons, who do not use their giftings for the blessing of the body. Now that looks like different things. That looks like not coming to the assembly of the church. That looks like coming into the assembly of the church, but sitting in a pew and not doing anything. That looks like not paying attention when the word of God is being preached. Not engaging with the preaching of the word. right? That looks like not singing unto the Lord and with your brothers and sisters with a full heart. Everyone is responsible to, to add to the edification of the church. And there are some of us who do not add to the edification of the church the way Christ calls us to. Now, here's what's really important to understand about that. If you are a member of this church body, and you are a true believer in Christ, and you actually care about God and His ways, and you are not giving what the Lord has given you to give to others, then the whole church is suffering because of it. The entire church body is not being built up because you have withheld what Christ has given you to give to them. Now, someone may say, well, Paul here is talking about very specific gifts. Is that, is that really an application that we can draw from what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 26? Well, I believe it is. The giftings that Paul is mentioning here in verse 26 are not, this is not an exhaustive list of all the giftings that come to bear upon the corporate assembly of God's people. It is a representative list that is being used simply to mark out the fact that each individual member of the church has something to contribute. So he mentions psalms here. He mentions teachings, interpretation, tongues, revelation. But there are other parts in Scripture that describe other giftings that ought to be brought to bear upon the corporate assembly of Christ's people. So for example, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, alongside these other giftings that are in 1426, Paul mentions the gift of having a word of wisdom by the Spirit. 
an ability to speak wisely to a situation from the Word of God. Or maybe even here, the gift of faith. Maybe you have, by God's grace, an ability to trust in Him in a way that your brothers and sisters don't readily have. What are you supposed to do with that gift? Well, A, you are supposed to operate within that faith, and then B, in that faith, you are supposed to help your brothers and sisters operate in that faith. When they're doubtful, when they're fearful, when they're questioning their salvation, you as one who is strong in the faith, you have an obligation to come alongside and bear with the weaknesses of of those who are struggling. To come alongside and say, brother, sister, believe in Christ. Trust in His goodness. Know that He's for you. We will conquer. Christ has already gained the victory. Darkness is fleeing away. The light has already come. Lift up your eyes to the hills from where your hope comes. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. All the earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. He is the King of glory. He has ascended on high. Stop looking at the things of the world and keep looking at Him. That's a gift of faith, and that's using the gift of faith in the corporate assembly. Paul goes on to describe in in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he adds the gifts of helps. Boy, I love those who are gifted with the gifts of helps. They come up to me and they say, brother, how can I help you? How can I help you do the things that you do every week so that you can be more more, uh, freed up to to use your time to focus on the preaching and teaching of the Word. I love Corbin. Thank you, brother. He's just like, I give him one thing, he does it. He comes up for more. He says, give me something else. What else can I do? Yes, brother. And many of you are like that. I'm thankful for that. You know what? Your brothers and sisters are thankful for that. So you should be all in. In using your gift of help, if you have a desire to give yourself in help of others, my friend, that is a gift that has been given to you by God, and you're to use it. He adds there, uh, <laughs> boy, I love people who have this gifting. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, administrations. The gift of administrations. Administra- administrative abilities are not my forte. I struggle with it. I work at it. I do. I try to get better. But men, there are some of you who are so naturally gifted to be able to organize, to think clearly through a plan, to execute it, to bring, or at least understand how to execute it. I love the brother. Grant. Grant is in this category. He would never say he is, but he is. He's very much gifted with the gift of administration. Anyway, Romans 12, 7 through 8, it adds some others to the list. Like the gift of serving. We don't normally think of serving as, a, as a, a, a special spiritual gift, but there are those who get great joy and delight in serving other people. My wife is one of them. She loves to host. She loves to serve because she gets life from Christ through it. He mentions there the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, right? It's a spiritual gift to be able to give. The gift of leading, the gift of showing mercy. Right? All of these gifts can be used to edify the body of Christ. Now all of these gifts can be used to edify the body of Christ outside of the physical gathering of Christ's people. But in 1 Corinthians 14.26, what Paul is driving at is that in some way, all of these gifts are to be used to edify the church in her corporate assembly. 
And so no matter who you are, if you are a member of the body of Christ, then you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He has given you a spiritual gift, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And He intends for you to use that gift to encourage and strengthen and edify and build up His people. All right, Ephesians 4, verse 7 says that very thing. To each one of us grace was given. And what is that grace given for? Verse 16, so that every part would function properly, would, would work according to its design, and the entire body would be built up by the contributions of each of its individual parts. Now that means that there's no room for pride whenever we exercise our spiritual gifts, because we weren't the ones that gave them to ourselves. They weren't naturally part of who we are or what we did for ourselves. They were given to us by the Lord, and they need to be stewarded as gifts from the Lord. Right? What do you have that you have not received, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 8. Could be wrong. Nor is there room for false humility or lack of faith in this venture either. Saying that you don't have a gift or not allowing yourself to make full use of your gift because you fear or doubt that it will do any good. There's no room for that in the body of Christ because Christ has given you a gift and He intends to use you to bless His people. So what you have to understand is that the church of Jesus Christ needs every single member it has in order to do what Christ has designed her to do. And so you either have a gift and you simply need to step out in faith and use it, or you have a gift and you're using it. Or you do not have a gift because you are not a true member of the body of Christ. Or Christ is a liar. It's one of these four, but I know which one it is not. Christ is not a liar. And so you're either one who is using your gifting to serve the body of Christ, you're one who has a gifting and you need to step out in faith and start using it, or you do not have a gift because you do not belong to Christ. You, each, everyone in this room fits into one of those categories. So no matter what your gifting is, the body of Christ needs you to use it when we gather. And as a side note here, try and run through this one quick, but this is why part of our church covenant includes a stated commitment to honor the Lord's Day through attendance of corporate worship. We commit with one another. We covenant together that when we become members of this church, we make a covenant to attend the corporate assembly on the Lord's Day because of how important it is. We also covenant to be regularly involved in the ministries and biblical fellowship of this church. Now, we may make those statements haphazardly or lightheartedly, but I guarantee you Christ will not hold that statement lightly. He will not let that covenant pass by unfulfilled without it being addressed. And then we also covenant with each other to use our gifts and our talents for the sake of Christ and the service of His people within this local body. And so when we join this local church body, we make a covenant and an agreement before God and with one another that among other things, we will be all in in serving the members of this church. Or maybe to state it negatively, that's the one that always impacts me the most. And that's why I speak in negative terms all the time. 
Some of you hate that, and I understand it. I don't like it necessarily either, but it impacts me. We are covenanting with each other to be all in, or to say it differently, we are making a commitment to one another that we will not hold back from serving in this body according to the giftings that Christ has given us. In other words, we're going to we are covenanting with each other to leave everything out on the field. That when we come to the final day of our lives, we will look back upon everything that we've done in the context of the church and for the glory of Christ, and we will recognize that we ran the race in such a way that there's no more reserves in the tank. That when we cross the finish line, it's all done. We used every bit of grace Christ gave us. We poured it out for the good of His people. We labored for the glory of His name. We can say at that point with a clean conscience, Lord, I have done Your will. We can say with Paul, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the righteous judge will award to me on that day. We ought to be living in such a way that when we come to that point, we can say honestly and with a clean conscience, we laid it all out on the field. We were all in for the sake of Christ and for the good of His people. Now look, there may be some of you here who are not believers and you have no idea what I'm talking about. My call to you is to repent of your sin and come to Christ. But those of you who know Christ, those of you who by the Holy Spirit have been made new and have been brought into fellowship with Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that hunger and that thirst after righteousness and that yearning to do the Lord's will. It is our ambition that we would be pleasing to Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We covenant with each other as members of this body, to do that together and to help one another do that. And that is what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 really is calling us to, to labor unto that end, that everything is laid out on the field for the sake of edification. Now, at this point, you might be asking, well, what does this actually look like for me? Maybe you weren't asking that, but you're asking it now. What does this actually practically look like for me? Not for me, but for you. Because what I'm saying is that every member has a gift that is to be used to edify the church within the corporate gathering. You might be saying in response to that, well, I understand what that might look like for you, Seth. You have a gifting to preach, you have a gifting to teach, and you are up front every Sunday doing it in our corporate assembly. I don't have that gift. I don't have that, not not me, you. You might be saying, I don't have that gift. I don't have that calling. What am I supposed to do? Or you might be saying to yourself, I don't have the ability to lead music the way that James or Bill has the ability to lead music. I don't have the ability to play an instrument the way that Joel does. Or anyone else who gets up here, Corbin, anyone else who plays an instrument. I don't have that ability to do that, to lead the church in worship and song. What am I supposed to do? How can I serve the corporate gathering? If we're all supposed to use our giftings within the corporate assembly, what does that look like for me? 
Now, there have been many different attempts to try to resolve that issue and answer that question. Okay? The, the Brethren Assemblies have tried to do that. Others, Pentecostal movements and Assemblies of God, they try to answer that question too. I don't go in any of those directions. Okay? I think where we have to begin, and I think the most helpful way to begin to answer this question is to start by reorienting our understanding of what it means for the body to be gathered corporately. Very often when we think of the body gathered corporately, we are strictly thinking of the 1020 service. Right? I think we should explode the parameters of that and broaden them so that we begin to understand that there is more involved in the corporate assembly of the church than just what happens at 1020. Being gathered corporately, it does mean that we are gathered together physically. But the corporate assembly is not limited to what takes place in our worship service at 1020. That is only a part of what happens whenever we are gathered together as the people of Christ corporately. So specifically here at Oak Ridge, let's think about this in our own context. What all is included in the corporate gatherings of the saints on Sunday morning? Well... You know where it begins? Who said it? Someone said it. Prayer. That's right. It begins with prayer. A30 prayer. Right? That, is, that is the first act that the corporate body is beginning to engage in together on a Sunday morning. Not many of us make it to that corporate prayer, do we? I've been a part of one church where the entire body gathered for an hour before the main service started to do nothing other than pray. The entire church body, guys. We can't get half of this body, this body, to show up on a Wednesday night to pray. What does... I don't... I don't, I don't Jamie knows this. You can ask her yourself. I don't say things like that just to be hard. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to point out something that's true about us. The majority of you sitting in this room do not come to Wednesday night prayer. Why? The majority of this room, let's think about the corporate context here. We're talking about Sunday mornings, Lord's Day worship here. The majority of you don't come to 830 prayer. Why? I'll confess to you. It's a struggle for me to come to 8.30 prayer on Sunday mornings because there's so much that's left to do. Where are my commitments in that? What does that show about what I actually hold to be the most important things about corporate body life? Right? It begins with prayer. Are you engaging in prayer in this body in a way that leads to the building up and edifying of the entire church? When you gather to pray, do you actually pray? Or do you sit there in silence? That's another way that you are not engaging in the corporate life of the body to edify your brothers and sisters. How many times I've been in a prayer meeting and a brother or a sister has become unloosed 
loosened by the Holy Spirit, freed up from whatever constraints were upon them, no fears about what anyone else thinks, no worries or concerns about how appropriate or, or what kind of etiquette comes out in the sound of their prayer. They were simply pouring their hearts out unto the Lord with a genuine sincerity and love. If you've ever been around a brother or a sister who has been brought to that point in a corporate prayer meeting, you know how edifying it is. It stirs your own heart. It convicts you. But more than that, it draws your heart after the Lord to pray just like that to Christ. So think about prayer meeting. We can think about Sunday mornings. We have Sunday school for adults and children. Now, I'm not in Promise Kingdom Children's Ministry but there are many ways to serve and edify this church body by serving in Promise Kingdom. We have very faithful teachers who are serving our children in Promise Kingdom ministry. But I'm far, I am far more familiar with what happens in our Sunday school adult time, adult Sunday school time. Now, the structure of our adult Sunday school time can be challenging because even at times I have felt like, man, maybe we need to cap the comments and just leave them for the last 15 minutes of the class so we can get through something. But I like having the open structure so that at any point in our, in our study, in our discussion, anyone who is gathered there can raise their hand and enter in at that point and contribute, make a contribution to the edification of the whole class. I like that kind of structure. It is challenging. It presents difficulties. But it is such a blessing when it functions pro properly. So are you here on Sunday mornings? Are you partaking in Sunday school with your other brothers and sisters? Are you contributing what you have to give to the overall study that we're looking at that day? Of course, we have our main service at 1020. And the, 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 the main elements of that service, we often think, are the, the preaching of the word. We got the, uh, the call to worship, announcements, right? The, how many of you worship the Lord in announcements? You know why we give announcements in the mornings on Sunday, right? If you, if you want us to stop giving announcements on Sunday morning, start reading your bulletins. Okay? How many people ask us, hey, what's going on this week? Uh, what's in your bulletin? Read it. <laughs> we, we print those for a reason. But even giving announcements ought to be something that's worshipful. Understanding what's happening in the life of the body. Where you can plug in. How you can begin to serve. Oh, this meeting is going on on Wednesday. Oh, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. That's one way that you can engage with things like announcements in a way that is worshipful and actually leads to the edification of the body. Or corporate prayer. Pastoral prayer. When the pastors offer a prayer, what should you be doing when the pastor's praying? Shouldn't you be praying too? Yeah. And as the pastor is praying and you are praying and we are all entering together into that spirit of prayer by the power of the Spirit, what begins to happen to the atmosphere of our worship? It's sanctified. Our minds are redirected to the Lord together, corporately. Right? What about in the preaching of the Word? How do you engage in the preaching of the word? How do you use your gifting to engage in the preaching of the word? Right. I'll hear it step on some toes. Hey, Brian, can I throw your name out there, brother? If you don't want me to use your name, I won't. 
Brian Utek has asked me to preach a full sermon on the amen. The amen in the context of corporate worship. Now, to my shame, I did not manage my time in this series well enough to do that. But the Oak Bridge letter for this month is going to be addressing that very issue. Saying the amen in corporate worship. I want you to understand something about what's happening in preaching. Okay? You all still with me? I know, brother. I know. I confess. I know. All right. No more. What is happening in, in preaching in the corporate assembly? You understand that it's not simply an interaction between, well, hang on, let me, let me rephrase this. It's not a monologue. It's not just me speaking at you, or at least it shouldn't be that way. Obviously, I am the one who is, who is physically speaking. I get that. But there is a dynamic that ought to be taking place in the preaching of the word that involves three people, at least. The preacher, the hearer, and who's the third? God. There should be a kind of living interaction between the preacher and those to whom he is preaching and the ministry of the Spirit that we can all understand or experience or feel ourselves being encouraged when the Word of God is being preached. And then we express that encouragement to one another. You know how I express that encouragement? That excitement that I get whenever I, the Word of God's really starting to prick my heart? You know what happens? I get loud, <laughs> and I move my body around, and my hands just flail all about, right? That's what happens when I get excited. I'm sorry. I try to rein that in. But what happens when you get excited over the Word? Some of you get loud. Some of you do get loud, and I like that. Some of you say Amen. That joy and that worship in your heart bubbles over and you express it verbally. Why do you do that? It shows your, your agreement with what's going on. It shows the impact that the word is having on your own heart. But you know what else it's doing? It's encouraging the preacher and it's encouraging your other brothers and sisters so that we know the Holy Spirit's working in your heart the way he's working in ours too. There's a living interaction that ought to be, a dynamic, a living dynamic that ought to be manifesting in the preaching of the word. Okay, what about singing? What about singing? We normally sing five to six songs. Maybe someday we'll be able to stretch that to eight. Oh, okay. A little too early for that. Okay, I get it. What should be happening in our singing? Where we are all contributing to the corporate edification of the body. Well, one, you should be singing with genuineness, right? I I walk by a principle, at least I have in the past, that if I can't sing something with honesty before the Lord, I don't sing it. Not out of some divisive notion that I I don't like that song, therefore I'm not going to sing it. That's not what I mean by that. I mean, if, if I can't unite my heart to the words that are being sung, 
I don't sing it until I can. It doesn't mean I just sit there. I repent and I ask the Lord to cleanse me and to give me a spirit of worship, right? So we sing it with genuineness. Secondly, we sing it loudly. Shout to the Lord, right? Read through the Psalms. The singing in the Psalms is not quiet. The singing of the church, the assembly of the firstborn in glory is not quiet. Do you know that? Go read the book of Revelation. It's not quiet. And in doing that, in engaging with a true, genuine heart and with a volume that actually sounds as though you're singing unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a volume that sounds like you're actually glorying in Him, you know what begins to happen to the hearts of your brothers and sisters? They get caught up with you. That's the mark of a true worship leader, someone who leads the church in worship. They themselves are worshiping, and that draws the rest of the body in and up. Okay? Okay, I, I can tell my time is spent with you guys, so let me, let me finish this up. Let's think about this. Those are all formal ways that we edify each other in the corporate assembly. Okay? But there are informal ways that we can use our giftings to edify one another when we gather together as a church. Maybe you don't get up here and and preach the Word of God or teach in Sunday school. But maybe this last week, the Lord really gripped your heart and your mind. He captured your attention with a truth in His Word. You're praying on Monday morning. You're praying on Tuesday morning. You were having your devotional time. And the Holy Spirit made something in the Word come alive in your heart. And you were edified by it. You were strengthened by it. You were encouraged to run harder after Christ. And maybe you felt in that moment, man, i got to share this with my brothers and my sisters. Now you can do that in a number of ways. But you know how you can do that in the corporate assembly? You can pray to the Lord for an opportunity to speak the very thing that the Lord had spoken to you earlier in the week in His Word. You can pray to the Lord, Lord, give me an open door. Give me an opportunity to share with my brother or with my sister what you shared with me this last week. Help me before the prayer time when I'm talking with other people. Help me recognize when you are opening that door so that I can give them what you gave to me. When we're talking in between Sunday school and and the service, Lord, let me not fill up the conversation with worldly things that don't matter. Help me help them get their eyes fixed on Christ. Lord, help me pour in the truth to them that you have poured into me. I miss, sometimes I miss being in this assembly as just a regular member. Because when I come to you as a pastor and I start sharing things like that, you all take it as an exhortation. Like, you're doing something wrong and I'm trying to correct what you're doing. Maybe that's just the flavor you get from me. I hope not. 
But I miss just being a regular member where I could come up to a brother and sister and say, man, guys, I was reading the Gospel of John this week, and you know what I'm seeing in Jesus in John 14? Jesus said He was going to heaven and He was going to prepare a place for us there. Isn't that amazing? Oh, guys, I was reading John. I was reading, I was, I was reading in Luke, Luke chapter 6 where Jesus talked about the blessing being upon those who are persecuted for His name. And you share that in the context maybe when someone is really suffering with what's going on in the world right now. Really struggling. My point is, you can, you can, though you're not preaching the truth, you can bring and you are expected to bring the truth, the Word of Christ with you when you step into this assembly, maybe singing. Let me end on this one. Singing. Maybe you don't have the gifting to play an instrument up here. Maybe you don't have the ability to even carry a tune with your voice, right? Some of us are afflicted with that. I get it. Uh, parentheses, the Lord doesn't care. You should be singing just as loudly as everyone else because he created your voice, Right? And he wants you to glorify him with that voice. In parentheses. So what about in singing? You're not up here. We've already talked about engaging in it fully and corporately. But what about one-on-one? Maybe you're someone who, who just gets ministered to by, by singing hymns throughout the week. And maybe one hymn in particular in family worship just, just gripped your heart. And you thought, man, we don't sing this at Oak Ridge. I think we should. I think it would be a blessing to the body. You know, one way you can edify the whole body with that is by sending it to James or, or maybe even Bill if he's leading, or you can send it to me or one of the elders. And we can think about how to incorporate that into the worship of the, whole, of, of the service. Or maybe you are someone who's gifted and the Lord blesses you such that you actually write and compose music. You write songs. You write hymns. Or you can do amazing things instrumentally. Still, one of my favorite songs we sing is Jesus, I Blood and Righteousness. James, isn't that the one that you instrumentally altered? <laughs> it's amazing. I love what you did with that song. Joy. You come to church sometimes with a song that you can't wait to share with me. Right? I make, a, I make one slip up in my comment and Joy pounces on it. Like a tiger, she's like, oh, man, i got to speak to that. Oh, hey, Seth, here's a song that the Lord gave me this week. Let me encourage you. Right? And she does. My point is just that there are, many, there are many ways that each one of us can be bringing our giftings into the service of the local congregation. And it doesn't have to be in the formal ways of preaching and teaching. It can be, in fact, it will primarily be in the context when we're interacting one-on-one -on -one with each other, right? So, what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church, at least from this vantage point, is to be a means of edifying its members in grace. And in order to do that, every single member has to do his or her part. And so I pray that the Lord will help us as we venture forward to do this more fully. May the Lord bless our efforts through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that uh, we are never what we ought to be 
and we're never even what we want to be, at least not this side of eternity. Father, in your patience and in your grace, you deal with us kindly and gently, and you lead us into a fuller and more mature expression of Christ. So Lord, please bring this church body further up and further in to that conformity to the image of your Son. Lord, as we as individuals are brought to know you more intimately and to be conformed to your image more fully throughout the week in our own lives and in our own families, I pray that the blessing that you pour into us there would be brought into this corporate assembly where we gather together as your people. May the life that, you've, that you pour into each one of us be poured into this body collectively. And by your grace, Lord, may we grow. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in his name. Amen.